of y'all know this already, but yesterday a big tree fell in our backyard. And it took out our treehouse and our chicken coop. And chickens are okay. Uh, the humans are okay. And, um, you know, so thanks for, like, checking in and on us and stuff like that. It, it's like one of those things, like, it's so ridiculous. You just have to laugh at it. I don't know. Like, it's like, <laughs> what else can you do? Like, it's like, um, yeah. So, so that, that made for an exciting uh, weekend. And, I, and, and so that happened, and then, like, okay, I got to finish, like, summer and prep. So I was really trying so hard not to use any, like, being rooted imageries, you know, like, <laughs> contained to the vine, the branches, all that stuff. I'm really trying hard, so... Um, so yeah, but anyway, so big surprise, uh, we are in 1 John, um, and we're in chapter 2, and, and so what we're going to do uh, today, we want to focus on kind of the second half of it, but let's review kind of where we've been so far. So the first we talked about the idea of sin, Jay talked about the cycle of sin and how there's a downward spiral that leads to shame and guilt, and there's an upward cycle in Christ that leads us to receive more of his grace, more of his mercy, and more of his love. And it was, it was wonderful. It was, it was so good. And he also talked about um, how, how we experience that on a personal level, but also on a systemic level. And, and then uh, the next week, the following, Katie talked about um, the new and old commandment, which is to love, which is to love. And, and she talked about how we as a local church body context are called to embody love in, in the way it's, it's, that's described in Scripture. Um, she, she mentioned 1 Corinthians and unpacked that a little bit, and it was so great. Last week, Vanessa talked about just the overview of, of love and how love is central to the gospel of Jesus. And one thing she, I, think she, she, I think she said it this way, but to walk in love is to walk in Jesus. I love that. That, that kind of like stuck out to me. To walk in love is to walk with Jesus. And so today we're going to focus on the latter half, like I mentioned, but specifically the last three verses. The last three verses... Um, Mainly because I feel like that's the one that no one wanted to do the passage on. So, <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, let's go, let's go for it, you know. And, uh, but to, to kind of set it up, I feel like it will be good to start at verse 12. Verse 12, and then we're going to finish the rest of our chunk. So let me read this uh, for us. Follow along on the screen. This is the NIV that I'll be reading out of. And it says this, I am writing to you, dear children, because of your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Kind of sounds like um, Kang. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, I write to you, young men, uh, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. <clears throat> if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, as we, as we kind of get back into this text, um, I know we've been sitting in this for, you know, about a month now, but I, I think it would be good for, helpful for us to kind of get a wider scope of Apostle John's writings. Because as Vanessa mentioned last Sunday, the Apostle writes in a very cyclical way. 
And it is not within just the gospel, or not within 1 John, but also to the other letters, 2 John, 3 John, also in the gospel of John, and also in Revelation. There are very similar themes, very similar vocabulary, very, very similar sentence structures and grammatical structures. And like, so like, for example, some of the themes that you see all throughout John's writings is there's a lot of talk about light and darkness, life and death, old and new. Uh, there's a lot of talk about what's true and what's false. There's talks a lot about loving something and hating something. So a lot of dualism and parallelism. And he also writes a lot about, about the Word of God. And for example, like, for example, in the opening chapter of the Gospel, John talks about, you know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and all that stuff. Beautifully written, that mirrors um, Genesis, right? And then we also see it mentioned here in the, in the reading that we read today. And also, he talks a lot about eternity. And not just Revelation, but just like everywhere in his writings. He, he talks a lot about eternity. So these themes are scattered all over his writings. We even see it in here. But, but what makes 1 John, and, and its tone really unique, is that it's really written in a very pastoral tone. It's, it's meant to be um, almost like a personal letter. It's not, it's not written to a specific church or specific person. Uh, most biblical scholars say that it's probably written to the churches listed in Revelations 2 and 3. So it's kind of like saying, hey, y'all churches. And so he's, he's kind of generalizing, hey, New, like, hey, you followers of Jesus, people who are of Christ, people who feel like there's something to this Jesus, something to following Jesus, I want you to know about these things. So it's kind of casting a wide range of themes to a wide range of people, right? So that's, that's really, um, that's, that's one of the interesting things. And also, what's unique about, especially First John, he's really concerned about fellowship and community. Fellowship and community. There, there are some... Um, Philosophical things happening, Gnosticism was a big thing, and um, that, that was kind of like um, seeping into the church, and it's kind of creating these like, these, like um, kind of off theologies a little bit. So John was trying to address some of this stuff, and it was kind of starting to divide the church. And so the Apostle John was like, hey, let's, let's talk about this. And, and so one of the ways he does this is, I, I, I appreciate this about First John for someone like me who just like, I just like, I can't do too complex things. I like simple things. And so the, how he does it is like, here are some anchor points. God is love. Anchor yourself on that. You know, Here's a new command. Is this, to love one another. It's an old command, but here it is. And he says like, these anchoring points where like, hey, you could, like, you could talk all these like, fancy stuff and argue about all this stuff and kind of add this, this, this. But let me just say, anchor yourself on this, anchor yourself on this, and anchor yourself on this. And that's first John. And so... I love how Vanessa, like Vanessa's personal story with um, this, this letter, it's similar to me. Like, she mentioned that she, when she was going through her phase of deconstruction, first John rooted her. I'm, I'm very similar in that way. Like, whenever I'm like, God, what the heck is going on with me? What the heck is going on? Like, I just feel so lost, and I need a reset. First John has been that letter for me. And I feel like it's, it's, for the times that we're living in, where um, things seem so much up in the air, I feel like First John could be a, a letter that could be good for us. And because um, it roots us. Sorry, I, sorry, that tree stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> Lord willing, that'll be the last tree analogy for today. <laughs> um, so, so by the time we get to um, 12 and 14, 
John is making statements about what, is, what it looks like to have a maturing relationship as a follower of Jesus. You know, to know that your sins are forgiven and there's no shame and guilt, no more, uh, you know, it's forgiven on the account of Jesus. There's overcoming, there's knowing, there's longevity and maturation in the faith. There's new life like we just sang about. And so it talks about all that stuff. And so when we get to 15 and 15 to 17, these next three verses is a description of what John feels like are the biggest, is the biggest obstacle for a maturing relationship with Jesus. Like, yeah, this, so, you know, so the part behind like, this is what, when you, when you grow in Jesus, this is what your relationship with Jesus looks like. You, you go through these, maybe not like in, in a linear order, but just kind of in different levels, in different phases, as you kind of mature in different ways. Maybe it's a deeper understanding of what it means to be forgiven or something like that, right? And, and so you just experience it in different ways. But then the next part, he says, this is your biggest obstacle to experiencing this in your walk with Jesus. And that's this this next chapter, that, or next verses that we're going to unpack. 15. It says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, um, uh, let me just, before we kind of get into like the main meat of this, let me just kind of acknowledge that I feel like verses like this have been used to like, to shame unnecessary things. Um, for example, even I, I mean, like, and, and that was kind of like my upbringing, so like I felt it. And uh, for example, in worship today, I had a cup of coffee in one hand and the other hand raised to Jesus while worshiping. And there's this voice in the back of my mind saying, <laughs> are, you more are you as dependent on the Spirit as this cup of coffee? Like, is that, and that's, that's so not Jesus-y, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like Jesus would be like, I made those beans, all right? <laughs> and I gave you the ability to process these beans in a specific way so that you could drink it and have caffeine, you know? <laughs> and so when you take a sip of coffee, you are praising me, right? I, I remember my um, seminary professor, like or, uh, one of my professors in seminary, um, he's actually the pres uh, former president of Fuller. He said he was once asked by Sports Illustrated, does God care about the Super Bowl? And his answer was, yeah, absolutely. Because when someone does like an amazing throw, an amazing pass, hurls or spins around and gets into the end zone, God is saying, I made that. I did that. Right? So I, I just want to acknowledge there, there have been some unhealthy ways that this verses like this have been used in, 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 in terms of how we relate to the world. So I just want to point that out. The second thing I want to point out is that um, <laughs> without proper understanding of, or at, at, at the surface when I read a verse like this, it sounds contrary to verses like John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? But yet it's like, but do not love the world or anything in, in, in the world. And this is even more confusing. If anyone loves the world, what, love for the Father? Is not in them? Like, how do we make sense of that? You know, it's, it's kind of like, there are points of tension here. This seems kind of like contrary even. And so like, okay, like we could look into this, you know, there's some like tricks, right? Like, okay, let's see what it says in the Greek. Same stinking word, like agape, <laughs> cosmos. So like, there's no tricks. Like, it's just like, it's the same exact word. Um, and 
But it does highlight a theme. Another theme that's without, you know, in the gospel and John letters is that John, the apostle John, really cares about God's relationship with the world, about, about setting that right. And, and, and by association, the apostle John really cares about how we relate to the world. This is a theme that we see all over his writings. John cares about God's relationship with us and the world and our relationship with the world and with each other and with God. And that is one of the reasons why we take a look at the same text, or that's one of the reasons why we've been taking a look at this text over and over again, because we want to, or or as we have taken a look at the previous text, and it's not the same text, but we we can look at the same text (laughs) and keep getting a different way of understanding this is how we are to love, right? Because God really cares about love and how we exercise love with one another. With one of, and, and with the world. He cares about what that means as a, as a witness to the folks around us. And so, <laughs> you know, so as we're getting into this text, and seemingly, you know, it seems like we're kind of like butting heads with like this text and um, John 3.16. Um, you know, I feel like this, this, is, this is totally like not, Biblical, it's not totally scholarly, but I feel, I wonder if like there's a part of John was like, okay, maybe like this could be confusing for some folk. So like, let me try to like explain this a little bit. And so we get the next verse, right? And the next verse says something like the verse 16, it says this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And when we read this, um, I this is a description of sin, lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and the pride of life. For some of us, we can read that and be like, be tempted to read it as like three different types of sin. Oh, there's lust, okay, you know, lust of flesh, okay, that sounds lusty, you know, so I, I get that. And then there's like, okay, lust of the eyes, so okay, this could be like the other kind, the lust, lust, but it's eyes, so maybe like, maybe... It's like, uh, like overindulgence, right? And then the last, pride. Okay, pride, that's easy. I get pride. Okay, so like, that sounds worldly. That sounds sinful. We're good. Let's move on. Um, but when we peek, a little, peek, take a little peek at the Greek, what we see uh, um, is something else. Or I, I think it hints at something else. What we see is like this, everything in the sentence, or actually a lot, of, and, and the words around it are written, um, it suggests that it's not written as a description of various sins, but as a description of sin. Everything is written in the singular, not plural. And so it's describing this like overall, like, hey, let, let me explain. These aren't sin. I'm not unpacking sin. I'm saying this is what lust or this is what love of world looks like. So it's describing just sin as a whole, sin in general. And what it's communicating is so what it's saying that is, is so it's not to say that you know lust or overindulgence or pride is okay it's not saying that but it's communicating something more significant um and you know not just like don't just do these things because it's sinful but it's commu- communicating the overall nature of sin and what i think what the apostle john is trying to point out is really what sin is is sin is love misdirected sin is love misdirected. 
When we see God's love in John 3.16, we encounter a God loving the world. So he gives himself to the world through Jesus. So that when the world sees Jesus, it would see the Father, right? There was no way to be present with God, but through Jesus, he created a way to be present with God. He, he creates, love creates, right? The love of God creates. We see that in Genesis, right? But the love of the world consumes. The love of God gives. The love of the world takes. Right? We see this in the world's love. We see that it is a love that is misdirected. It is not a giving love, but it is a taking. It, it is a love that is about self and filling self. It's more about consumption. It, it, it is more about what we take for ourselves and and, and that allows us to gain power, control, and status. I mean, we, we, see, we see how that plays out in like intimacy, like physical intimacy, right? God-ordained intimacy is a form of intimacy that is, is about equality. It's about sharing and giving. It's about honoring and lifting each other up. But physical intimacy in its most perverse form, it's about taking. It's about devouring. It's about fulfilling the self and one's ego. It's about using the other just as any other consumer good. Sin is love misdirected. This is lust of the flesh. This is lust of the eyes. This is pride of life. Around the time when we started the series, um, one of the things that was happening in the news was this idea of the doomsday clock. Have you heard about this doomsday clock? <laughs> um, it, um, for those of you who know, don't know, like the, the doomsday clock is like it was invented. Uh, I think not too long after the nuclear bomb was invented, the scientists like were like, "Oh crap! What have we done? <laughs> Let's measure how crappy what we've done is." And so they created this doomsday clock. And um, it, it's a clock to measure how close humanity is to destroying itself. And midnight means that the earth would then become inhabitable, inhabitable for human activity. <laughs> so that's so morbid. Uh, so every year, a group of scientists and boards are gathered together to set the clock for the year. And the big news last month was that this was set at 90 seconds until midnight. Uh, so we don't, we don't know what will happen when it hits midnight. Um, it's never happened before, but it also has never been this close to midnight um, since it was in Vetech like 75 years ago. And, but what I thought, this, this was interesting, like what determines the time? Like it doesn't like measure like outside existential like threats. Like it doesn't, like if an alien invaded us, like it doesn't measure that, okay? <laughs> um, but but it measures the threats that we create ourselves. So like climate change is, is a big thing that they, that they measure. One of the reasons why I said 90 seconds to midnight this year was because of the ongoing tensions um, between in, in Russia or in, in Ukraine with Russia and all the talks that's going on in Asia. Um, and, and, and so, <laughs> As, as, a, as a person of faith and as a, 
as a pastor, like, I can't help but to think of, like, man, this doomsday clock thing, it, it, it's just, it really just exposes our sinful nature of humanity. It exposes our greed. It exposes our vanity. It really, like, highlights Romans, like, like literally the, the wages of sin, the, the cost of sin, it really is death, is destruction. <laughs> And, and this is why I, I feel like one of the things that the world is yearning for is a gospel, not just for me and my own sin, but a gospel for the stinking world. A gospel for a world that seems like it's like falling apart at the seams. So we can't just pre preach the gospel like, hey, you, you can be forgiven. That's true. And we should definitely continue preaching that. But we also got to preach hope for the world, for God's love, the cosmos that he gave us Jesus. God definitely does love you. But God loved the cosmos and everything in it, including you. So the gospel isn't just about you and Jesus, but it is about Jesus and the world. I think one of the ways that discipleship has failed in, in this like COVID era is that we have been preaching a very thin gospel. That gospel that was just about, hey, how can I absolve my shame? How can I solve my, my guilt? And not, how do we fix this world? Where do we find hope in this world? And I feel like one of the things that's happening, maybe in some of you and Lord willing, in, in, the, in the global churches, we got to address this. Or, we, or no, oh wait, we can address this because the Bible has been teaching, talking about it all this time, but we just fail to see it because we have been so selfish to try to absolve our own things inside. We're, we're trying to fulfill our own kind of stuff inside that we, we missed out on what the gospel is saying about the world around us. This is a divine invitation from God that we have been missing. We have been miscommunicating as Christendom as a whole for many, many generations. So, love for ourselves when it's misdirected destroys the world and the world around us. That's why we have conferences like trying to address trafficking, right? It's about overconsumption. It's about devouring. We are still overfarming. That's an issue. We are overfishing. We are deforesting still at a scary rate. We're still polluting. I mean, the electric car stuff is good, but we're mining for other stuff, so we gotta, we got to work on that. Um, we're, we're still fighting for our lives, for like societal, political, financial, you know, power, and it's, it's destroying the world around us. And you know, like sometimes like an act of like, I, and I, I think I was kind of thinking about this, I think one of the things I realized is like, how much, how much difference there isn't, <laughs> that's a horrible sentence, how much difference there isn't um, <laughs> between uh, an act of selfish love versus an act of violence and abuse. Like, and that's how, that's how world, the world's love acts itself and plays out itself. We live in a temporary finite world and in that world our, our love has been misdirected into lust, pride, desires, and it's making it more finite and more temporary and 
So super morbid. But John doesn't end there, luckily. And actually, uh, <laughs> and I'll say this too. Um, like, I, I, I feel like I cannot plug First John enough. Um, <laughs> um, he writes a lot more, and, um, and I really encourage you. You could, you could re literally read it in like 15, 20 minutes. Like, it's 15, 20 minutes. It's super short. Um, and I encourage you all to do that. Um, if you're like, oh, man, Pastor Elliot was such a downer today. It's like, yeah, go read the Bible, okay? Like, go read the rest of it, all right? <laughs> um, but, but, so John doesn't leave us there. He gives us this before he moves on to other ideas and other topics. He says, the world and its desires are pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And having expressed and the weight of all this, John introduces, I love this, eternity. He introduces what is temporary, or he talks about what's temporary, and after that, he introduces eternity. And I like to think that he, rather he's inviting us to consider eternity. You know, where here is described as a person who does the will of God, living forever. Meaning, God is inviting you and me to co-create with him. God is inviting you and I to co-create with God together instead of indulging ourselves to the world's love, let us enter into the eternal love of the Father by co-creating with him. When I think of co-creating, um, I think of Legos. Um, and I might have shared this with you, uh, some, some of you all before, but um, uh, uh, several months back, as, as we were kind of praying and stuff, God, God gave me this memory of, of like just me. I was probably, I'm probably like, it's, it's, um, after we unimmigrated and we're in Korea, um, and I, I'm still adjusting to the culture. And um, I, I, you know, I, gr I grew up in, in Utah and, and Mississippi my first five years, and so that that was my worldview. And so to be um, unplugged from that and then plopped into the motherland, Korea, like it was like it was such a culture shock for me. And I just didn't like I. Everyone's trying to feed me kimchi. I just want KFC, you know. And so like. <laughs> It was, it was, um, <laughs> and so the first like year or so, like I, it was literally, it was just me, my brother, and Legos. And I have so many memories of just me playing Legos. I remember, and God brought up a memory in that time of like, of transition of like, God, what's, or like, I don't, well, I don't know, <laughs> like what's happening? What's going to happen to me? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like my whole world has shifted because it has. And I remember like playing with Legos and, uh, the memory was, I'm playing with Legos. I remember having conversations with God as, as like six, five, six, seven-year-old maybe, so around Shalom's age, about like, hey, God, I, I love that I get to make this. I love that I get to, like, I have this, and I could just build whatever I want. Is that how you felt when you made me? Is that how you felt when you made this world? And I think the reminder, I felt the invitation from the Spirit saying, yeah, that's exactly how God felt. And as we mature in our relationship with him, the invitation was, and I want you to continue doing that. Maybe not with Legos, or still Legos, because, I mean, it's great. <laughs> but maybe, maybe with the world in front of us. Maybe with how we relate to one another. 
co-create with God. How we, how, how we engage in community together, co-create with God. How we live out our faith in the context of this faith community, co-create with God. How we relate to our neighbors, co-create with God. How we engage our coworkers and, and, and everyone around us, co-create with God. How we engage with things that we like have problems with and struggle with, co-create with God. It's like he's inviting us to do that. There's this quote by the late um, Carlos Rene Padilla. He, he's, he's an Ecuadorian pastor, um, a theologian, a missionary, missiologist. He was, um, for those of you guys who know what the Luzon Conference is like, he was, he was foundational in like getting that going. But on the first Luzon Conference, he, he said this, Jesus came not just to save my soul, but to form a new society. Jesus came not just to save my soul. Maybe I could kind of rephrase it this way. But to create a new soul for society. Whatever the soul is <laughs> that is out there in this world, it's, it's not working. Um, we <laughs> early, early this week, um, Elia Ramirez and I and, 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 and Jay, we were able to um, go hear a talk from Ed Cesar, who's a um, missiologist. He just got hired by, um, to be a dean at Biola. Um, <clears throat> and pretty much he was talking about, like, what is this post-COVID world going to be like? And uh, some of it was pretty grim stuff. Um, some of it was like stuff like we kind of already, yeah, like that's, that's a no-brainer. Um, but uh, what, what was interesting was like some of the data that he was able to bring up. And one of the things that he mentioned was, um, you know, we, we hear a lot about, uh, so like one of the things, things that he mentioned was the rise of like how the non-religiously affiliated have, are, have been growing up, uh, are just kind of increasing a lot. And, um, but he talked about how, what that really means is, um, he talked about how people who are um, kind of categorized in, in religious kind of stuff. So that, that's like about, and he, he said it's, it's about 25% even across the board. And first it's like people who are just kind of non-religious to begin with, and people who are kind of like, uh, like culturally Christian, like uh, maybe, uh, maybe their parents or grandparents were Christian, so, like, if they get asked to survey, they all say, like, oh, I'm Christian, but they don't really, like, practice or have kind of any kind of active partake uh, action in the faith and whatnot. And the other is, like, another 25 is people who are kind of, like, kind of go to church here and there, um, you know, like, uh, East, I guess, like, I have to, like, a lot of churches talk about this, but the Easter and the Christmas Christians and stuff like that. And then the last 25% is, like, the folks who are, like, just in it, in it to win it. <laughs> um, and... And so those are the four. And so what, what, and what he was saying that what, what COVID did was it kind of made this reset for the middle two categories of like they, don't, they didn't feel as obligated to tie to that kind of devoted group of Christians. So that 50%-ish of folks just gravitated towards like, oh, I'm just going to associate with the non-religious. So it seems like now like um, there's 75 or rough, you know, these are really kind of loose things, but 75% of, like, folks who are kind of like, non-religious, whatever, and then 25% who are just really kind of, um, who are really, like, devoted followers of Jesus and whatnot. And um, it sounds morbid, but I, I, I found that really refreshing. 
like, because it helps us know who we are. It helps us know our place in the world. We, we don't, like, we, we don't get to be, <laughs> we're not allowed to walk around delusional and ignorant to what's happening. We get to be real about our standing in the world. That we are, this whole, like, whole, like, moral majority thing, how, how false of a premise that is. <laughs> um, but we are now, for people who truly follow Jesus, um, we're in the minority. People who really seek Jesus and long, long after his kingdom, we're in the minority. That means we got to know who we are as the people of God. we got to know what it means to be. <laughs> we got to know what it means to be um, people of God, the church. We gotta, we, we, I wonder if it means that we go back to some of like the writings of like the, um, the exile period and kind of extract some of the themes from there again. I wonder if it means we go back to like the Desert Fathers and kind of revisit some of those themes again and what, what that means for our faith today. Now, because the cultural shift is happening, and it will continue to happen. Um, and so the invitation is so that now we know the pieces we have, what does it mean to co-create with God in this space and in this time? I think a lot of, a lot of that is what Katie mentioned a couple weeks ago. A lot of that is what Vanessa mentioned last week. A lot of that is what Jay mentioned a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. So that's the invitation. I feel like that. I feel like that's the invitation in, in the world that we're living in today. Um, so what does it look like for us to pursue community, godly community, with eternity in mind? What does it look like for, to be a church? <laughs> What does it mean to be a church that examples, that sets an example of on earth as it is in heaven? What does it mean for us to not just to pray that, but to really live that out in, in all of our contexts? Um, I, I think a part of that is we keep asking the question, what the heck is a church? <laughs> um, because what we have seen is, and we, I feel like we mention this all the time, but it hasn't been working. So let's continue to ask the question, and let's refine, let's refine this. Let's continue to press into the spirit and allow the spirit to mold this together. Um, I think a part of that is to stop looking at, I mean, I feel like most of us, all, you know, I trust y'all, like we're, we're, like we're not looking at this like a consumer kind of thing, right? We're here because we're dedicated to Christ and with one another. I think a part of that means we, we, we get serious about really loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? You know, I, we have a tortoise, um, and it, she's burrowed herself in. You know, let's not be, you know, Christians that, like, that burrow in when it gets icy, you know? <laughs> um, let's be present and engage with the world around us. I think part of that is it means like what Jay mentioned about systemic sin. What, what does it mean to be present to that and call that out in the land that we're in? 
you know, we, we need to understand the community that we're in, not to romanticize it, right? But like, but we've got to understand its history. You know, like this, like it's like this neighborhood has been redlined, right? Like, in, in historically, so there's impacts of that still affecting this community today, right? What does it mean to be present to that as a faith community? Even before that, like this land is native, Native American land to the Kitsch people. Like, what does that mean for us as a faith community to be present to that and be faithful to that? And also, part of that means. Like what Jay started us off with, like what does it mean to be present to our sin and walk with each other in that? Um, so what we're hoping for, what we're hoping to create, co-create with God in the community is this type of faith that starts with eternity in mind and, and engaging the faith of us walking.